Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Just outside of New York City. Apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I feel like this is a primer for, for a lot more to come as we enter a busy week, Andrew. I feel like this is a, an hors d'oeuvre of a podcast. There was a time, JJ, not so long ago when international breaks felt like breaks. They do not anymore. No, they feel like moments of huge importance, of gravity, of all those things. And we will be right here with you guys to hold your hand and guide you through this three-headed monster of a CONCACAF qualifier. <sighs> Can't wait. This, I mean... This could be, look, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but when we get out of this break, the world could be a different place for this national team. You, you say that so regularly. That's got to go on our bingo that the Reddit animals have. I don't want to be hyperbolic. I don't want to get ahead of myself. You're so far ahead of yourself, Andrew. You could turn around and wave back at yourself. That's how far ahead you are. We're going to talk in this podcast um, about some of the things going on at AFCON, some of the things going on in the Premier League. But while we're talking U.S. men and the international break, which is now here, uh, let's let's just go all in on it, because um, I know the squad was released over the weekend. J.J., people have had time now to digest it, to process it, to come to terms with it. Uh, but we have not. This is our first opportunity to speak to all of you about some of our thoughts on it. Um, generally speaking, it, for me, when these squads are released, it's going to take something truly earth shattering for me to have the sort of freak out reaction that I see some people have. I mean, I, I have thoughts on it, of course. And there are things that, you know, I think to myself, okay, if I were the manager of this team, I would do things a little bit differently um, than what I've seen here. But some people just like, there's, there's just kind of like this feeling of, well, because they didn't do this, they can't win now. And I just, I don't I don't always see it that way. And U.S. men's soccer Twitter has their cause celebras. They have their players that they young players in particular who might be playing in Europe, who they just get absolutely wrapped up in. And, you know, they've been watching YouTube highlights. They've made their own YouTube videos complete with uh, EDM music across the top of them of skills and thrills from the last season. And the problem with that is they. They invest so much that it's a massive disappointment to them that they don't see their guy on the team sheet. Ergo, Greg knows nothing and should be fired immediately. Right. Like when Jean-Luc Abuzio was not included. What? What's he doing? He has COVID. What's he doing, man? He was just unfortunate. He got COVID. Right. You know, Siri is amazing. And he's got some bum from MLS instead of this guy. So let's let's get into now the things, some of the other cause celebs, as you uh, so eloquently put it. Um, I, I, look, the big one, it's obvious, uh, the one that kind of caught most of the headlines, and it was that John Brooks was not included in this team uh, yet again. And I mean, it's obviously interesting because we entered qualifying of the belief that he was this team's best defender. Mm-hmm. Um, then games happened and that. The two didn't seem to align. What we were seeing in front of us didn't seem to be going, jiving with what was in our head about him. Um, I think the first time he was left out, I understood. It made sense to me. Uh, This time I was a little bit more surprised. I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's wrong. It's not like I think the players that were included at central defense are are disastrous, not by any stretch. Uh, You know, Greg Bearhalter clearly has, thoughts about developing chemistry between certain players, which I value greatly. So he seems to like this sort of Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman pairing. Uh, and I think he wants to cultivate that. And, and look, not to put words in his mouth, we'll go through some of the things that Bearhalter himself said about it. But I just think it, it, this manager, there's so much pressure on him, clearly. Even when they win, oftentimes it's not good enough. You know, they need to win a certain way in the eyes of a lot of fans and media. And I think Greg Bearhalter seems to be of the mind of, okay, let's qualify. This is not the time to get players in and work them back into form, players who I deem to be out of form. 
let's go with the guys that I believe in right now. Let's qualify. And then we can have a conversation about guys who are not in form or who, do, who lack chemistry with other players. We can talk about bringing them back into the fold and working them back. Yeah. In. That's if I were guessing what some of his behind the scenes logic is, maybe that would be it. Yeah. And, but that doesn't necessarily jive with what he's saying. I mean, he, he contradicts himself in this statement. Uh, this is what he said uh, at the pref- press conference announcing the squad. Uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the form of John talking about Brooks. We think that he will continue to play a role with us in the future for this window. We decided based on how we're looking at these games and what the strengths are of our opponents, that he wouldn't be the best fit for this particular window. And we've heard that before. We're hoping that he regains his form for Wolfsburg and they start winning games and move themselves up the table. He's a key part of that. Well, there's nothing wrong with his form, but we hope he regains his form. Mm-hmm. Like Bear Halter, I think, has an argument to be made about John Brooks that there have been, and you know, I'm not on the Brooks train. Even when people think he's done well, particularly during the summer, in uh, the, was it the Nations League semi-final game, where I thought, you know, he was careening out of position. He was trying to win balls in midfield when he should have been holding the shape of the defense. I have all those problems with him. But he is a Champions League group stage starting centre-back. And we don't have any others of those. So that's interesting, too, that he doesn't want to lean on this on this experience. But if Bearhalter wants to say, look, this guy has not performed when we've called him up for the squads. You know, he can't. He's not going to say that. He's not going to put a wedge between himself and Brooks like that. But, you know, he hasn't played well. He, he, he says, wouldn't be a best fit for this particular window. Most... Soccer Which, by observer. the way, is one of the most vague. What does that even? What does that mean? It's this to- particular window, a total vagary. I mean, he he wouldn't. He can't be... say the things that he wants to say. He That's w- the exa- bottom line. Exactly. And you, most soccer observers will be asking, well, what window is he fit for? You know, he hasn't had. He's had a number of bad performances in high-profile games down the years. I remember under Klinsman as well, Costa Rica away, in the last World Cup qualifying. So. Bearhalter is couching this in, you know, kind of coach speak and, you know, best fit and blah, blah, blah. But he doesn't want him in the team because he doesn't think he's executing for the team. That's it. There's nothing more to it. He's played. He's gone the 90 in pretty much every game for uh, Wolfsburg. He had a he started on the bench four games ago, but he's done the 90 in the last. Now, there's not a lot of winning in the last the last few games. Um for Wolfsburg, there's only they've only really had two wins in the last I don't know how many. No, they're looking uh, to fend off relegation. Right, exactly. But he's he's been in the starting 11 15 times, substituted in twice on the bench three times. He's very much a part of 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 what they're they're doing there. Um but it doesn't mean just because Wolfsburg are struggling, he'd come in and automatically struggle for the US men's national team. He struggled, his struggles for the US men's national team are solely the reason I believe he's not in this squad now. No I think, other reason. I, I but, think you're right. I, I would I would happen to really agree with that because, you know, it's funny. We've talked about this before, but it's worth bringing up again in this conversation with John Brooks is that Greg Bearhalter or whoever is managing the U.S. team at any given time, they have such a complicated job in a way that is unique to the U.S. or some other CONCACAF nations or, you know, African nations, some Asian nations, but not really European nations. Uh, and it's unique because like a player like John Brooks, who is a starting center back for, like you just said, even though they're struggling in the Bundesliga, it's a team that qualified for champions league. You know, they're, they're still in a, a superior league. That is the Bundesliga. So how do you balance a player struggling for a champions league side versus a player thriving for an MLS side? How do you compare those two things? Like it, it's a very difficult balance to strike. You know, I like Walker Zimmerman. He's excellent in MLS, Defender of the Year player. Um, I don't know what he would be if he was in the Bundesliga, if he was playing for Wolfsburg instead of John Brooks. It, like Greg Berhalter has to try to figure those things out in his head, and oftentimes the only way that he can really do that is just by going with, okay, I don't know how to compare MLS with Bundesliga, a guy who's great here versus bad, not playing well there. So all I can go off of is what I see in front of me when they're all here playing for this team. And so that's why I think you're right. I, I don't know how he compares these leagues. And so he's got to go with what his eyes tell him when these players are in his camp with how they connect with other players, with their chemistry, with center back pairings. Uh, and, and so I, I really think that it's as, it's as simple as that. And I, I don't think that this means that he's exiled permanently. 
he'll be given, I would think, every chance if the U.S. qualifies to make the final squad for the World Cup. And I would expect him to be on it. I'd be pretty shocked if he wasn't. Um, but here and now, I'm okay with it. It didn't cause me to to react in any sort of hysterical way. The other one, JJ, which was the timing of everything was incredible uh, with Josh Sargent. <laughs> The team is basically being announced as he's scoring world-class goals yeah. for Narge City, and he's not on it, of course. Uh, again, not something that made me freak out. It would have been interesting had he scored those two goals a week ago and not been included. I think there might have been a little bit more of a freak out, but I think a lot of people understood it in real time. Yeah, I also think people need to understand that um, Josh Sargent scoring at the weekend is very good but it does not necessarily dovetail with what he would be used for playing for the U.S. men's national team. That Norwich team, that lineup under Dean Smith has changed. It's not what he's... Dean Smith has said, I've got young talent. Adam Ida, Millet Rashika. Oh, he's a bit older than the others, but Rashika, Rashica. I've got um, a, a veteran player in Timu Puki, and I've got this young talent in Josh Sargent. I've got, I'm going to get these guys all into the team because we need some, we need to start scoring some goals. And what he's done is he's played Adamida and Timu Puki centrally. Josh Sargent is not playing as a striker now. He's playing as a, I suppose, an attacking player, sure, but he's he's not playing centrally. He's not playing as a centre forward. And his like, if you look at, he didn't score against Everton, but his work rate, the trouble he gave Everton. I mean, it was his cross that Michael Keane deflected over the line. You know, he's doing something different. If he was to be selected for the U.S. men's national team, we would be thinking, what, centre forward, playing off maybe another player. So it's it's not horses for courses here. It's not he's playing well for Norwich, therefore this is what will happen for the U.S. men's national team. It's brilliant to see him score. It's brilliant to see him start. And I have to give Dean Smith a lot of credit for for that kind of that kind of thinking that's utilized all that talent that he has and has seen them climb out of the relegation zone. But it's not, you know, it's not just a fait accompli that he'll come in for the U.S. and do exactly the same things because two different systems. Um, but it was it was there's no question the the crossover was kind of funny. Here he is scoring like a goal that he probably shouldn't score. The ball's nearly behind him and he's flicking it with his heel in off the underside of the crossbar. And then he's scoring a header. And then at the end, it's like the Norwich fans are shouting USA, USA at him. It was a, it was a lovely moment, but um, one does not equal the other. And if you're looking for a goal scorer, you know, it, it just came too late for him. And also he's not playing that position right now for his club side. He can play his way back into this US team. Of course. Of I really course. easily. Yeah, he can. And and if he continues to show form there, maybe Greg thinks, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Maybe I don't have to play him as and you know what? I've said this consistently on the podcast. I don't think he's an out and out goal scorer anyway. I think he's much more of a link man. Maybe, maybe old Greggy Poos looks at what Dean Smith is doing and thinks Here's a way to get him into the squad. Here's a way I can change things around for my squad. But but where, though? That's the problem. Right, like for, exactly. For the, for the U.S. team right now, not to say, like, look, I, I'm good with Ricardo Pepe. I'm curious to see what he does in Germany. He hasn't scored yet, but I, I feel good about the direction he's headed. But, like, that is potentially where the hole is. Like, you look at the other positions that you're talking about as more of a playmaker role. They're, they're sorry. There's no vacancies there. No, there isn't. There isn't. And 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 even, like, in wide positions... He's not going to usurp anyone that's going to play. And also, the system, the setup is different. Mm. So it might give Greg food for thought. It might be something. But, I, you know, it, it's just the initial reaction was, oh, I had a Twitter interaction with one guy. Oh, well, you know, you're making it. I said it was I said he was playing really well and he was busting his ass against Everton. And he should be given credit for that. But it's only when goals go in. And well, that's what I expect from a striker. Are, are you watching these games? He's not playing as a striker, you know? So give him credit for what he's doing. If it's all down f to goals for you while you watch Norwich this season, then you're going to come up a bit short. No one is scoring for that team. And suddenly everyone is scoring from this for this team. So, yeah. By the way, real quick, um, with what Norwich is doing right now and, and Sargent's performance, I've been saying for a couple of months now that Norwich might be in that class of worst Premier League teams we've seen. Eh, might have to reevaluate. I, I, I think I think that you should. And, I still think um, they're probably going down, but 
they're really helping me out with my preseason predictions, which we, I, I was so excited about seeing all those players I've mentioned play together. And it took Dean Smith coming in and, a, and, and almost certain relegation in most people's eyes for it finally to blossom. If they stay up, then I look good. And that's the most important thing. Well, we all know who JJ is rooting for. <laughs> JJ Devaney. Uh, one other one, JJ, nothing. I don't believe I've seen anything definite. No. here just yet but uh rumors over the weekend of matt turner potentially making a move to arsenal um where obviously arsenal have recently signed a goalkeeper in aaron ramsdale who has been brilliant uh so this would be another zach stefan situation of a american player going to the premier league to clearly be the backup um and i'm when i saw this happen i mean i i just to know you i know how you feel but i figured i would ask anyway what do you make of this jj <laughs> not good <laughs> Um, it would leave our top three keepers. Bear with me now. Stefan Turner and Ethan Horvath. He's not even in the squad. But why, why, why might that be? Because he's gone to Nottingham Forest and he, has, he hasn't got a, he's hardly got a run in the team at all. He's not the number one. So we'd have our three key best talented goalkeepers certainly coming out, emerging from that summer of winning that we just had. And none of them would be starters for their clubs. And... I'm seeing like some people who I, I feel like should know better. Nicholas Mendela, who writes for uh, NBC uh, NBC Sports Network, the soccer end of things. That's What's what it's it called? called. Yeah, all those things. You got M- it. You nailed NBC it. NBC Sports Soccer the network. Yeah. org. Yeah, <laughs> and he's a good guy, and um, I like him. But he's like, well, you know, he's going to make more money. Yes, he definitely will. Like it's life changing money compared to what he's on in MLS. But he's not going to play. And Nicholas, you know, was one of these to advance the idea. Well, he's facing top quality players and uh, taking shots on him in training. No, goalkeepers have to play. It's not the same. Training will never be the same as games. It's, it, it's not, it's a unique position. It's not that unique of a position. And look, there are examples which people will be furiously tweeting towards this, this podcast right now of where goalkeepers weren't starters for their clubs, but were starters internationally. And they yeah, got Sergio Romero's the big one took Argentina yeah. to a world cup final. Right. And it didn't last that long. It, I, you want your goalkeepers, you want your players to be starting and the goalkeepers no different. Um, and it's, that's a worry for me. Is it a great move to go to Arsenal? Yes. It oh, really, I, get, I get it for him. I get it for him, but it's not good for the U S as far as I'm concerned. I mean, look, would I rather him be, playing regularly of course but i i do i can see a little bit of how a goalkeeper can maybe remain sharper as a number two in a way that an outfield player i'd be more concerned with no they need to play too the modern goalkeeper isn't in this isolated position like he used to be the modern goalkeeper is really involved in things he's not running up and down the field i look at how yeah, but look at look at how involved the modern goalkeeper is. That all the top goalkeepers we think of are playing with their feet. They're getting touches on the ball. They're under pressure. You don't get that same kind of intensity in training. You just don't. That's why it's training. That's why it's practice. And we already know Turner is a goalkeeper who is not exactly the best with his feet. If if he if he has won Achilles' heel, his heel is his foot. Bear with me. And um, and he needs to play. It's not that we've seen a ton of Stefan, but, you know, he's the U.S.'s number one. He's played as their number one through the bulk of World Cup qualifying. He's been Manchester City's number two for a while now. He, that's been his role. When I watch him play, to me, like from the time he was with Columbus to the time he's with to him being with Manchester City, I don't feel like I'm looking at a player that's gotten worse. Like, I feel like he's I'm still comfortable with him as the goalkeeper. And he's been in that number two job for quite some time now. If that, if the sudden drop-off is going to come because he's not getting regular minutes as their first team keeper, it hasn't come yet. Uh, So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Who knows? Maybe every guy is different, but to me, it's not, again, it's not a uh, end of the world scenario, but we'll see if it happens. Hasn't happened yet. Any other takeaways, JJ, from, uh, from this team? Um, I think, you know, obviously the Busio absence is unfortunate. We've spoken about that. I would just say with Tim Ream, um, he's been slowly phased out by Greg. You feel like early Greg had leaned on his experience um, and he ended up even in left back, left fullback a couple of times. But that era seems to be drawing to a close. And that's more veteran leadership that's been moved out of the squad, despite Fulham going really well and him starting every single game. 
Um, his last game was El Salvador in September. That's the last time he started, and he was in the squad the last time that September again in the 4-1 away win in Honduras. So he is being kind of phased out. There's one other thing that uh, stands out to me before we move on. 13 MLS players who have not been playing football for some months now. Um, Greg says that January camp will have bridged that fitness gap um, and sharpness gap for them. I'm not so sure. I think it's Yeah, but look at someone like Brendan Aronson. They've been on break. He hasn't played in six weeks. Serginio Dest, yeah. he hasn't played since December 4th, I think, through COVID and injury. Yeah. But they so, would have, but they would have had, you know, organized trainings with their with their clubs and that. I mean, MLS is only in preseason, and apart from this January camp, how much have they, how much have they done? That's the, in in a group setting, in a team setting. That that that's a, it's a concern. I don't know whether it'll it'll end up mattering. I don't know. Uh, the things for me, seeing Jordan Morris back in the squad just gave me good feelings. JJ, I'm just you're happy big for Morris. The guy. He is one of Andrew's people. He's one of my people. I've, have we got I, I the. Was, have we got the jingle yet for nope. Andrew's people? I haven't even thought about it. Can you work on it, please? Nope. No, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But yeah, I was very happy to see him back in. Um, JJ Weston McKinney, uh, Greg Bearhalter said that he's, what was the quote? He's probably in the form of his life. I'm excited. I mean, if that is in fact the case, which it seems to be right now with the way he's been playing at Juventus, um, I'm excited to see how that manifests itself with the national team. And then the only other thing that was interesting to me, um, talk about Reem not being there. Anthony Robinson is the only true left back that was included on this squad. They're going to play three games in a week. He ain't playing three games in a week. So it's going to be some experimentation time. And I guess Dest will be the guy who will probably audition for that left back role. His versatility, his uh, John O'Shea-ness in terms of ending up in any position where he's needed is, is going to be uh, tested, I, w- yeah. I would say. Yeah, so I'll be interested to see that. And I'll be interested to see who becomes, you know, who is... You know, I assume when all things are equal, if everyone's healthy, Robinson on the left, Dest on the right. When Dest moves over to the left to give Robinson some kind of breather, who is the preferred right back to fill in for Dest? Because I know Reggie Cannon is now starting again regularly at Bovista. Uh, we don't know. DeAndre Yedlin, it sounds like, is headed back to MLS. That's not definitive yet. I thought I even saw that Hull City were interested in, uh, in Yedlin. But it looks like he could be going to Miami. So we'll have to wait and see. He's on the squad. I'll just be uh, I'll be interested to see who how, what the pecking order is of right backs for this. Team. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think Yedlin has had enough of weather in the northeast of England? You know, Sunderland, Newcastle, Hull, like he wants to go somewhere else, you know, yeah. coming straight from the heat of Turkey. No. Are Miami and Hull different? Con- yeah, well, considerably. Start with palm trees, Cuban oh, okay. food, and then move from there. I've always viewed Hull as the South Beach of England. <laughs> Uh, and one other thing I mentioned, Brendan Aronson too. Once again, no Gio Reyna. We knew that already. Um, you know, like I said, when this all started, we had our certain notions about players and like, you know, for example, like miles Robinson, we, we weren't sure. Okay. He had a good summer, but is he, how good is he on the national team picture? Well, he's emerged now as I think their number one center back. Brendan Aronson is another interesting one who, when this all started, the perception of him was, okay, he had a great summer, but where does he fit on this team? Well, he's kind of forced his way into this team. He's been that good domestically. Leeds is like readying a, a significant bid potentially for another him. Bid. Salzburg is saying, absolutely not. We, we need him for this Champions League campaign. They're not letting go of him. He's become indispensable to his club side. And it's starting to happen on the national team as well. And like, I know guys play different positions, but you know, if Gio Reyna is not healthy and Brendan Aronson is going to play at this level, he's going to make he's Greg Berhalter is going to be faced with interesting decisions as to who his starting 11, who's preferred 11 is going to be. Cause Aronson is going to make his, himself a guy that you just can't take out of there. Uh, so this is another chance for him to kind of solidify his role as, as a lockdown first team player. So should be fun to watch. We of course will, uh, we'll be watching it. Are we watching together Thursday? Is that the plan? I, th- I think that will be the plan. Uh, I will get food from the halal truck across yes. the street. Yes. It's an excuse for us to have halal. But you and better hurry this time. Last time when you did it, you, uh, well, who was it that scored oh against us God. in the first minute? Everyone who is Costa in a relationship. Yes. Everyone who is in a relationship out there will be able to talk about this. I didn't think it would bleed into our friendship, but the dilly-dallying, the endless hours deciding what takeout. If you live in New York City, your greatest, most fundamental arguments are about what kind of takeout, when are we going to get it, do you want to go and get it, will we You're order? You're wrong. This is li- these are lies. 
that you dilly dallied until it was the last minute. And then I said, I'll go down and get it. And you were like, okay. You waited until 6.50. We always knew what we were getting. I was working. I couldn't go. It had to be you. You waited until 6.50. Don't put this on me. We always knew we were getting the truck. I said, I think I texted you during the day. JJ, no. there is a halal truck across the street. You're going to love it so much. No, I need receipts on this. I think, I think you were, well, I don't know. There's this here and then there's, we could Wrong. go there and we could grab that. But anyway, I'm saying halal, I'm going to have it early. If it goes cold, there's a microwave in, in the studio. No, you can... you're going to go down at 640. Okay. There's that place is well regarded. The cold weather may reduce the queue somewhat. That's what I'm hoping for. You can smell it from down the block. It's it's oh, it's this welcoming scent brings you right in. You smell of it, you know. Sometimes when you lift well, your arm, be so lucky. I wish they could put it in deodorant form. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break, JJ. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna have some more on uh, what's been going on at Afcon, what's been going on in the Premier League. Uh, still a lot to do, so don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on. Caught offside. Uh, we'll get to Premier League stuff in uh, in just a bit. Um, I should say it was funny the other night, JJ. I don't know if you were as locked in as I was. I mean, you know, I'm a massive NFL American football fan, and um, the games the other night. You were- know, I was locked in though. So why okay. do you ask? I didn't, how do I know? I wasn't with you. I don't know. But anyway, and I was off Twitter for a reason. I don't know if you were tweeting about it, but it was just funny because, uh, you know, like I said, we'll get to this, but. Um, the games were just like the height of just what is great about sports and just Drama. Like riveting it was, but I wasn't able to watch Tottenham Chelsea in real time. So I had it kind of on backlog that I was going to watch after the games. And like you go from, from that chiefs bills game. And then from the Spurs fan perspective from that, like, okay, wow, that was something. All right, let's watch Tottenham Chelsea now. And like, oh. it was such a come down. Oh, dreadful. <laughs> it just was just like, oh. oh, man. Well, at least it became easier to go to bed that night. Like after yeah, the it was, Chiefs game, I was like, how am I going to go to sleep after this? Oh, that's right. Let me watch Tottenham now. Like, oh, okay, yeah. Oh. I, 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 was, I came out of that Bills-Chiefs game feeling the same way as everyone else, where every time Patrick Mahomes did something. Josh Allen got a chance to respond. And every time Josh Allen did something, Patrick Mahomes got a chance to respond. And there was this amazing back and forth. One of the greatest football games, never mind playoff games, one of the greatest football games ever played. Mm. And the idea that Josh Allen does not get a chance to respond by virtue of the toss of a coin. And I don't want to hear. Well, no, no, no. But also by virtue of his defense, make a stop, make a stop. Okay, fine. Right. But, it feels incongruous having watched what we watched that Josh Allen wouldn't get one more chance to respond again. So anyway, that's my little rant over. Let's move on. Uh, JJ, let's go to Africa. Now the Africa cup of nations um, where sadly um, this tournament in, in some ways has now been marred by a, uh, a terrible tragedy uh, outside of the stadium, the Alembe Stadium, where Cameroon were going to be playing Comoros. And Cameroon, the game did go ahead, and Cameroon won. They advanced. Two to one was the final score. Uh, but up to this point, um, eight people have been reported dead, up to 40 injured in a stampede that occurred outside of the stadium. Um, I mean, the pictures are are terrible. The story is terrible. Just uh, Just a really sad tragedy outside of that game. Yeah, uh, this was Pierce Edwards uh, from BBC Africa, his report. Um, Cameroon is football mad and has not hosted an African Nations Cup in 50 years, so crowds flock to the stadium to see the biggest game of the tournament so far. The problem is, 30 minutes before kickoff, only one gate, the south gate, was open. A bottleneck formed with one eyewitness saying fans with tickets were waving them in the air trying to gain access, frustrated with the slow speed of entry. Fans without tickets were also in the crowd trying their luck. Fans needed a negative COVID test to get into the stadium, which can only delay things. But this is not done by the gates and separate sources I've spoken to do not believe it had a major bearing on the stampede. Security at the AFCON stadiums could be better. There is a significant police presence, but it is not as organized as it could be. Some gates are flimsy with temporary fencing supported by breeze blocks that can be pushed down. Though this was not the case with the South Gate, where people were trampled and pressed against fences in the crush. Um, Anyone who's seen the, the Hillsborough documentary, the 30 for 30 will, um, yeah, just have nightmares thinking about that scenario playing out again um, in 2022. 
dreadful, just awful. There's there's no words for that. Official said about 50,000 people had tried to attend the match. The stadium has a capacity of 60,000, but it was not meant to be more than 80% full for the game because of restrictions on the size of the crowd amid the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I mean, look, I don't want to, I don't want to start anything. I'm sure there'll be extensive investigations over this, but for a crowd that size, even if it's, if it's 80% capacity on a stadium of 60,000, still significant, how is one gate, how is only one gate taking people in? How can that be? Like I said, it's, it doesn't bear thinking about, and that bottleneck must have just been just horrendous. Yeah, terrifying mm. for, for anyone who was, was in it. Um, awful, awful. So, uh, but the game, like I said, it did go on, uh, which Cameroon did win two to one. So they advanced into the quarterfinals. Um, but we'll see now. You know, I'll be curious what this investigation finds as to why something like this would happen, why only one gate would be open, because there's things here that just in some ways don't add up. That doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, but yeah, terrible. Uh, Cameroon will play uh, Gambia in the quarterfinal. Yeah. And uh, Burkina Faso will play Tunisia, who uh, knocked out Nigeria. So those are the. Yeah. In probably one of the biggest surprises of the tournament so far. I mean, Algeria and, and their disappointment was a big surprise, but for how good Nigeria looked through the group stage, they had kind of emerged as one of the top favorites to go on and win this, uh, but they are out. Not a great day for Alex Owobi. No, no, certainly not. Red card in the 66th minute. Yeah. Um, and Nigeria only managed one shot on target, which again, I mean, if you look at the lineup, Kelechi and Acho, you know, that's a pretty good side and, the fact that they only managed one shot on target, that will be that won't be that won't go down well. No, certainly not. Uh Sadio Mane in action actually in about 45 minutes from now. Uh Senegal against Cape Verde Islands. Um tomorrow, JJ Mosala in action in, in probably maybe the most interesting game of the round of 16, Egypt and Ivory Coast. Um, and we all know JJ will be rooting against both Mane and Salah to get them back with Liverpool as quickly as possible because he has no soul and doesn't care for these people. That's um, not true, but uh, that's the narrative you like to push, and I'm not going to stop you. Oh, well, thank you. So let it be said. It is now the truth. Uh, Let's move on, JJ. Some of what's been going on in the Premier League lately. Claudio Ranieri out at Watford. That was, even by their standards, that was pretty quick. Uh, Yeah, that was... it's kind of the way they operate, though. They've uh, their their statement was interesting because it, it it didn't have the quite you know the usual three strikes. It was they confirmed the departure of head coach Claudio Ranieri. The Hornets board recognizes Claudio as a man of great integrity and honor who will always be respected here at Vicarage Roads for his efforts in leading the team with dignity. So it wasn't thanks for your efforts; it was re- respect you for your efforts. However, the board feels that with nearly half of the Premier League campaign remaining. A change in the head coach position will now give a new appointment sufficient time to work with a talented squad to achieve the immediate goal of retaining Premier League status. Um, so, yeah, it's the merry-go-round. Will they go back to a manager they've already had? They've done that before. Um, who knows what goes on? Well, they've the appointed money. Roy Hodgson. They have? Uh, yeah, to finish out the remainder of the season. I did not see that. Oh, yeah. He's in. Roy Hodgson. <laughs> Does this surprise yeah. you? I mean, this feels. Yeah. Who'd you think they were going to bring in? Well, I mean, it's, it's, this they are in survival mode now, so it's either going to be him or Big Sam, and Big Sam's reputation is still maybe not in a great place. So it's Roy time. I know, but I thought Roy, after doing so well with Crystal Palace, being the age he is, after being in football nonstop for nearly forty-five, fifty years, maybe he'd take a little bit longer off. But these guys, they're adrenaline junkies. He's 74 years old. He's due to sign a six-month contract uh, with the club. Okay. All right. This is this is survival mode, JJ. That's what's and, going on here. And by the way, survival is possible now. If you look at Norwich, they're in 16 points in 17th place. Below them, Newcastle, who got their win at the weekend over Leeds. Again, they shouldn't have won, but they did. They're on 15 points now, so one from safety. Watford on 14 points, uh, two points behind Norwich City. And Burnley are the ones that... Burnley, if there's anyone adrift in this relegation race, um, it's Burnley. Well, are... yes and no. See, this is the problem. And look, yes, Burnley, because the games, Burnley have two that's, games That's the hand. thing. Burnley have only played 18 matches. Yeah. Like, 
no one is even no one else anywhere in the league is even close to that. Everyone else has played at least 20. So it's like Chelsea have played 24. They've played six more games than Burnley. <laughs> like yeah. not, I'm not saying that Burnley are looking to catch Chelsea in any way. I'm just comparing uh, how how skewed the uh, the figures are and the point totals are because of um, the way in which COVID have wreaked havoc on the fixture list. So, like right now, yeah, they're a disaster. They've only won one game this season. They're they're terrible. Um, but this can change quickly. In fact, Burnley are playing Watford uh, this weekend which maybe was part of the reason they wanted to make this switch now. Cause that game is that's, I mean, that's almost like cup final type stuff for two teams that are going to be battling in relegation. So, um, so yeah, Roy enter Roy JJ, I believe he now becomes, is it the 15th manager? Yes. He's the 15th manager since this ownership group took over at Watford in 2012. Uh, not, not the model of stability. No. And um, I think it was Duncan Alexander had the tweet and I'm just going to remember it. So I probably have the figures a little bit off, but it'll give you a flavor. He becomes their 15th manager since I think 2012, 2013, which is just three less than West Ham have had in their entire history. Oh my God. Yeah. That is. uh, Yeah, that's, that's not. That's not a way to run a football club. I have the tweet here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Watford looking for their 15 permanent manager since 12-13. I got it right. Three fewer than West Ham have had. Like, that's wild. Nah. That's just absolutely wild. And it's, I don't care if it's been successful once or twice keeping them up. It's, it's madness. Madness. Uh, in those four months that Ranieri was in charge, just seven points out of a possible 39 Obviously, we, we talked about the danger that they're in in terms of going down. You know, four months, it's obviously it's not a fair amount of time to give anybody, um, especially because he was coming in to replace another manager. So, like, you're asking him to switch the existing system. It's not like he had a preseason to work with this group. So, you know, it was always going to be a difficult task for him. Having said that, I'm not shocked that Watford made this move, A, because it's them, like we said, but B, when you're fighting for your lives, you've been that bad over that amount of time. It's not a small sample size anymore. I get it. I get it. Um, so we'll see if this helps them in any way. <laughs> Trying to hold players out of AFCON certainly hasn't. Although Ismail Sark did wind up going off uh, to the Africa Cup of Nations, but they kept Emmanuel Dennis and it has not been helping. Who promptly got sent off at the weekend, I think. Uh, JJ, the game I mentioned before, Chelsea continue their dominance over Spurs. That's three wins in a month um, over their city rivals i'm gonna leave this all to you say what you gotta say because i passively watched this one i did not engage fully um i engaged fully and you know it it confirms it continues to confirm what i said when chelsea eliminated tottenham from the league cup and just like there's a clear gap between these teams like you know any of the the one two and three city you could say there's then a, a small gap potentially from City to Liverpool, Chelsea, Liverpool, Chelsea are kind of on the same plane. And then there is a there's a sizable gap between Liverpool, Chelsea and whatever's next, whether that be Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester United, West Ham, somebody else that you want to throw in there, whoever. There's a there's a gap there. Tottenham are not even when Chelsea are not at their best, which they have not been over the last month. Chelsea are still good enough to beat Tottenham three times. Now that's disappointing. I thought that maybe under Conte, Tottenham would be a little bit better than that, a little more competitive than that. Uh, in this game, they really, they really were not good. Uh, from what we saw from Tottenham against Leicester City, even in the dramatic nature of that win, Tottenham played really well over the course of those 96 minutes. They just left it late to get the winner. Um, but there was none of that in this game. Chelsea dominated this. Maybe it's different if Harry Kane's goal is allowed to stand. I mean, that was... Not surprised that foul was given. It was also really weak. It, you know, a, a slight breeze felt like it was going to blow over Thiago Silva in that situation. But guys do that, you know, especially when they're going up against Kane and they're in a bad spot in the box. It's to be expected. So I wasn't stunned that that wasn't given. Um, look, for Tottenham, the final third, like that's that's a lot of where Antonio Conte's work is going to have to be done. Not having Son hurts them. Even when he's with them, they're a squad that lack creativity in the final third. So uh, whatever they thought Giovanni Lo Celso and Tangi and Dombele were going to be in terms of creativity and creating goals, they're not. And that's for Lo Celso, I think we've known that for some time. And Dombele, I hung on to for dear life for a long time, longer than most. 
Um, and like I said a few weeks ago, when he is inevitably sold, I will have more to say on that. But the right, but right now, Tottenham just don't have that creative player in midfield, and Kane's just not getting the number of chances that he needs to get on a regular basis, especially against the better teams. Um, and so that's what happened here. As for Chelsea, uh, I mean, boy, Hakeem Ziyech was unbelievable in this game, even before he scored that goal, uh, which we can talk about just the beauty of, of the goal that he scored. I mean, even I as somebody who was actively rooting against him and them in the game that went in and like out loud alone in the room, I just gave one of those. Oh, I mean, it was, it, it was he, something to see. There's literally nothing you can do about that. The whip he got on it, the post, yeah. you put it right. As I think Arlo White said, the postage stamp. Yep. Um, unbelievable strike. But sometimes you can just see when a guy is on it, like before that goal happened, he played in a, a cross um, that just narrowly missed Lukaku who had another not so great day for Chelsea. Um, but, you know, and then Ziyech scores that goal. Then minutes later, another opportunity comes his way, fires one at Loris, who made a nice save to keep it out. I mean, he was, he looked really, really good for Chelsea. Um, and these are the benefits with having a big squad. You know, when certain guys are hurt, when certain guys, you know, Ziyech for a long time hadn't really found his footing there. We weren't sure how great is this guy going to be? Well, like, now he's on form as other guys dip out like s- smaller clubs with, with smaller squads. If a key player dips out of form, kind of screwed, but city Liverpool, Chelsea clubs like that, they can have guys go in and out of form. And as other guys rise up and take their places, there's not really any drop off. So uh, man, he was, uh, he was, he was special in this one and Kovacic as well. Um, starting to think if I were going to hand out at this stage in the season, a, a player of the season for Chelsea specifically, I think it's him. Um, I think it's him, which is interesting because he's not, you know, when we talk about Chelsea and a lot of their success, obviously Lukaku was their, was their big signing. You know, we talk about N'Golo Kante and his importance to that team, but you know, Kovacic sometimes flies under the radar, but really over like a couple, a few years now, I would say he's, he's been vital for them. And I think he's really starting to show that this season. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I, I would agree with that. I don't think I think he's no longer under the radar. He is no, no longer certainly he, not. He's no longer the B two stealth bomber. He's very much on the radar. Yeah, B two. Yeah, stealth. Yeah, I was thinking of a U two spy plane, but I guess a B two uh, stealth bomber also fits that. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, JJ Manchester United, a vital. Oh, a vital three points. I won't have this. We're going to deal with Manchester City first. Oh. Okay. Let's okay. do it in order. Um, o- order of what? Order you of, feel like talking about? Order of the day. <laughs> order well, that we should have started with City before Watford. Uh, I suppose so, but that was the breaking news. Uh, kind of breaking news. Semi-breaking news. Um, City drew at Southampton, uh, dropped points, but Pep thought it was the performance of the season. He said it was an outstanding game. We played really well. It was one of the best performances of the season against a team that defend incredibly well that we suffered against all of the time. This is one of the best performances we have produced against them. If you analyze the result as 1-1, but in terms of the performance and how we played, it was excellent. In the second half, with the first a- action, Ederson had to make an incredible save, but the rest was perfect. And it just leans in. It was as if he, he was trying to tee up Ken Early for another article. It just leans into the fact they dominated possession. They moved the ball around. They, they, they Again, they... They suffocated their way back into the game. They chloroformed, to use Ken's word, uh, Southampton's defense and finally got the equalizer. And the fact that they didn't allow it to become an end-to-end game, the fact that they had that control, that's what Guardiola loves, even if it's a 1-1 draw. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they did also get 20 shots off. It's not like they just passed around forever. No, no, no. That's what I mean, though. But that's, that is, the, that is the, whole, the whole thing. That is the, the, the crux of Guardiola. Suffocation. Suffocation. Uh, you ready for United now? Yes, you may. Important win for them. It wasn't easy. Uh, no, it's, and it was, it's it, never it was narrow easy. in terms of not, not just the scoreline, but the goal itself. Yeah, and I, I, thought, I thought West Ham were poor, generally. And uh, I th- United deserved to win the game. But... Um, but yeah, it's... You know, they keep, they're ticking away now. They're... they're that's basically what they've got to got to do. Got to ensure they keep doing is getting these wins, however they get them. Um, and slowly but surely, they would hope that Rangnick's um, kind of style of play begins to make an imprint on the team and on the players. 
Um, important goal for Marcus Rashford, certainly. Goals now in back-to-back games for a player that was kind of starting to come under the eye of Manchester United fans as a guy not pulling his weight in the way that I think they had hoped he would. Um, remember, he's another one of these guys who had a, a European summer, uh, another one of these guys who was injured for the entire the entirety of the first portion of the season. So I don't think you can be shocked that it's taken him some time to kind of get back into the flow of things. I don't even know if he's fully there yet, but the fact that he cannot be 100% Marcus Rashford and still be contributing important goals, that's that's not terrible. A lot of teams wouldn't mind having something like now, that. You, you, were, you were talking about this, how the squad needs to be trimmed. Well, the trimming has begun. Uh, well, actually, it hasn't begun. It's sort of begun. Uh, Fabrizio Romano, the here-we-go man, gave a here-we-go to Martial to Sevilla. Um. The Manchester Evening News had an interesting report on this. They said United won't receive a full, they won't receive a loan fee for Martial, but they but they were unwilling to allow the France forward to leave unless his salary was fully covered. After several weeks of negotiations, Sevilla have now agreed to pay all of Martial's two hundred and forty thousand pounds sterling uh, wage, having like that is imagine two hundred and forty thousand just sitting on your bench. Their, their wages are wild. Having initially only co- offered to cover half of the salary. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Martial is expected in Sevilla for a medical and to finalize a loan move for the rest of the season on Tuesday. There will be no option to make the move permanent at the end of the season. United have to try and make that. I mean, I, I'm sure what they're hoping is that he goes into a team that's in second place in La Liga, hits the ground running, and that they can, you know, there'll be offers from other teams. Are they, they Sevilla really want him and they'll take him. But they have to get rid of him. They simply have to, especially, you know, we're only a couple of weeks away since Ranić said Martial had what refused to be part of the squad, mm-hmm. um, which Martial denied. He, he denies it, yeah. But they have to get rid. They simply have to. Um, but you know, getting two hundred forty thousand a week to to just sit there, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, but it's a big win for them. Certainly, certainly is. Certainly is keeps them in that race for top four. Uh, JJ, I know you wanted to mention something about Liverpool. Uh, no, quickly. I, well, Liverpool, part of Liverpool. Uh, Duncan era starts on Merseyside on Goodison. Uh, Ferguson era part two. Uh, it began with a defeat to Aston Villa. Emmy Bundia with the header. Uh, Villa not or Everton with you know a lot of aggression, long balls, competitive but not very good, not very clinical. Um, I noticed that the Winslow Hotel on Goodison Road, tweeted this on Saturday, Andrew. Massive big thanks to the legend that is Duncan Ferguson for buying all our customers their first drink this morning. <laughs> Amazing, generous gesture. That's a measure of the man. Come on, you blues. Um, That's pretty cool. Was, it was pretty cool. The, the kind of buzz around Duncan, well, it was gone by full time where Everton fans uh, waited, a lot of fans waited afterwards to protest Chairman Bill Kenwright. Uh, after the game, they had the flags, time to go, 22 years without a trophy, um, the usual. And I'm not sure that, that he is the right target because I don't know, does Ken Wright have that much control anymore? It seems to me that the owner, uh, Mashiri, is the one that's really pulling the strings there. So, I mean, Ken Wright is a longstanding figure there. And he's gone through moments of popularity and moments of not, not being so popular. Well, I'll say this about it, JJ. But, we had Greg O'Keefe on. We went in the club on Everton. We had Greg O'Keefe on. That was just a week ago, right? Yeah. We talked a lot about the problems at Everton. Kenwright I don't, I don't once remember hearing the name Bill Kenwright. Uh, yeah, and I was under the impression that his, his place on the board was not not what it was in, say, like the late 90s, early 2000s, where he was the man in charge. The man in charge is the owner, as I understood it. So, right. Um, and uh, let's move to the other side of Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool get over the line against Crystal Palace at Sellers Park with the help of Allison, a couple of big staves, and uh, two controversial decisions, Andrew, which I'm not going to defend. Um, the first was for Liverpool's, I think it was the second goal, the Oxlade-Chamberlain goal. Off, Bobby Firmino is in an offside position, and he is making a play on the ball. It's offside. Like, wh- how is that hard? It's just offside. He can't do that. If he stood there passively not involved or is even running towards the end of the box, fine. But he's active. 
He's trying to make a play on the ball. Almost headed it. I mean, it, it narrowed the missed him. So it's offside. Yeah. There it is. And uh, the penalty. Now, Liverpool are leading 2-1 at that point, And it's a brilliant ball from Trent Alexander-Arnold. But it's not a penalty. Ball's practically gone out over the line. Okay. Tell me that doesn't matter. Fine. But if you watch it, Jota moves in towards Gaita. Gaita doesn't clean him out, as some people were trying we've, to say. We've seen goalkeeper collisions recently. Way yeah. worse. That's not a, but it's he, if you watch it, Jota moves in towards him again. And, and it took so long. They couldn't, they told the referee to go and take a look at it. If it, if it's not that obvious, then get on with the play. I agree. It's crazy to me. Yeah. And like, this is my team. I'm delighted we won. Uh, Mark Lawrenson was speaking on Irish radio, a former Liverpool player. And he says they're not in the title race. Um, and he, despite beating Crystal Palace, he, uh, there was also a really good piece of which I will post a really good piece of analysis of Liverpool from the weekend by former player Stephen Warnock, and um, he shows some defensive irregularities which are kind of troubling. One involving Virgil Van Dijk, who didn't have his best game and looked like he's still not a hundred percent back to post or pre ACL verge. So um, yeah, Liverpool get a win that they needed, especially with City dropping points, but um, wasn't convincing. Yeah, one other note on that. I, I did want to give Palace some credit. I, kn- I know they wound up losing 3-1. Mm. Um, and the way the game started, I mean, it took them some time. They they went down 2-0 before they were kind of like, oh, wait, we, we should probably be a part of this game. But once they kind of clicked on, I mean, I would say from the time that second goal was scored, there was probably, what would you say, like a 50-, 60-minute stretch where they were really good. Uh, and, and if not for Allison uh, and some of their own finishing issues, I mean, they could have had – Two, three. Uh, I thought I thought they were really excellent for the majority of that game. Yeah, they were. Finish. They were, and um, and who knows what would have happened. Definitely, the penalty took the the wind out of their sails in in the search for an equalizer. There's no question. Um, yeah, but that I mean that was near the we, what was that the 87th minute? Uh, yeah. So that was kind of uh, winding to a conclusion. I, I know, but uh, I'm a, I'm a Liverpool supporter, but I totally um, okay with Palace fans who are scratching their head about why have we all this technology to, to make sure things like this don't happen and two obvious mistakes are made in the game. Obvious yeah. to me anyway. No, the, Again, I'm okay with the technology. I think what you said before is the key issue of just like you've looked at it for the there's, there's got to be some kind of clock something and if, if, if two minutes go by where a decision can't be reached then that's kind of telling you what the decision is. You the can't deci- tell. So let's decision- get on with it. The decision on the field, the re- the referee's one was the correct one. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised. I was, I was surprised. The announcer seemed surprised mm. um, with how that one went. But Liverpool do get the three points. That's about all I got, my friend. Yeah, that's that's us for now, anyways. But we'll be we'll be back again. Uh, some upset that Tom Brady. The, people got excited for us on Friday, and it was Tom Brady. Oh yeah. Imagine, I mean, look. It's one of the rare circumstances in our lives where people will be disappointed about Tom Brady content when it's, you know, over us. That's that's right, right. Unlike, yeah, you know what? That's true. To think that there was someone out there who saw that, thought, oh, Andrew and JJ clicked on and said, oh, it's only Brady. (laughs) (laughs) That, you know, that's going to get me through the day today. Drink those moments in because they are rare. We'll be back. The U.S. have a game later this week. We will be back to recap it when it goes final. This was fun, as it always is, my friend. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 